Aloha nui e na makamaka e ho'olohe mai nei. E ho'omau kākou i kā kākou huaka'i i ka aina o na paya ala i ka hala. I ke kaikolo e nuana i ka uluhala, me ka ili-ili nehe olelo i ke kai o puna. Much aloha to everyone listening as we celebrate Puna, the land of hala groves, redolent with their fragrance amidst the soundscape of the murmuring sea, whose shore is lined with smooth pebbles. Mahalo for joining us on another journey through the moku of Puna. Velina mai. Welcome to Kaleo Kauluau. Aloha Elei. Aloha Drew. As we continue to move through the lands of Puna, in this episode, we'll feature my ho aloha, my friend, Lynn Kalanipua Elia. That sounds wonderful. Would you please introduce us to your friend and our special guest for today? It would be my pleasure. For Kalanipua, Puna is her aina aloha. She is deeply rooted to this place, as has been her ohana for generations before, as well as her children and grandchildren. Kalanipua's aina aloha is Kaweleau, lying between Opihikau and Kama'ili. Kalanipua attended Kamehameha Schools and the University of Hawaii, and she recently returned to school, earning a degree from Hawaii Community College in the Hawaii Lifestyles Program Hula Track. Hula has been an important part of her life as a member of Halao Kekuhi and later with Unukupu Kupu. Kalanipua has worked at the Lyman Museum in Hilo for over 35 years as a collections manager, registrar, museum interpreter, and outreach instructor. She has experienced in oral histories, archiving, conservation, and collaborations between museums and indigenous groups. She's committed to safeguarding not just the material culture of Hawaii, but also the stories that convey details about ways of life and cultural traditions. I'm honored to have my dear friend with us today, who also happens to be the former classmate of our podcast producer, Bruce. Mahalo for introducing Kalanipua to all of us, Drew. Let's hear from her now. Welcome, Kalanipua. I understand that you have a very deep connection with your homeland in Puna. The purpose of our podcast series is to ho'okama'aina our listeners to the many special places of which the six traditional moku or districts of the island of Hawaii is composed through sharing of mo'olelo. Perhaps as our listeners hear more about your connection to place, they will be inspired to further strengthen their own connections with their own special places. Aloha kalanipua. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today. We are ready whenever you are to learn more about your aina aloha. In Puna. Mahalo. Ano ai, meke aloha. Thank you for having me here today. Okay, uh, I think I'm going to take you on a little journey with me into uh, my special place in Puna. And it's called Kaweleao. And it's located, it's an ahupua'a, located between the ahupua'a of Kama'ili and Opihikau. I've lived there. I was born there. And then we moved to Pahoa, but um, Kaweleau has always been very special for me. I've lived in that area now with my family for like 42 years. And my ohana comes from there, going back a few generations. Um, Opikau, Kamaili, Kaweleau, well, Kapoho, along the, the lower Puna coastline. Uh, Punamakai. And um, so the little journey I'm going to take you on is actually going to happen around the time of my dad's birth, which was uh, about 1928. My dad's name is Daniel Elia. 
and um, he grew up in Kauleau. My grandfather's house is right across of the house I live in now. He was raised there. And Kauleau is um, it's on the upper side. I live two and a half miles from Kamaili, the top of Kamaili Road. And if you don't know where that is, if you're on Highway 130 heading down to Kalapana, I'm sure a lot of you know where that is, you'll see a sign that says Opikau 5. So 5 means it's, you're down by the ocean side already. So I live halfway between Mauka and halfway between Makai. And um, so my dad was born in 1928. By that time, the railroad had already come into that area and in fact passed between uh, this right where my grandfather's house is and the railroad grading. So that railroad came all the way from Hilo and all the way through Kauleau and to Kamaili. What is the railroad for? Um, the railroad was brought through there. Um, one was to part of sugar, the sugar cane that was being planted along that um, Puna coastline, actually Kapoho, and then through, would have come through Malama, Opikau, Kabaleao, actually Kamaili. There would have been uh, cane fields through there. So that would have been Ola'a Sugar Company, Dillingham, that would have been um, first wanting to get that railroad through there was basically for the sugar cane. And um, eventually it was, uh, that's what happened is, uh, once the railroad came in, um, if you been to Pahoa, there used to be a lumber mill there, right in Pahoa town, right by the Akibono Theater in the backside there. But in um, Kamaili, there was a Thai mill before that lumber mill actually got built up there. And if you think about it, what's a Thai mill? Well, railroads need wooden ties that the tracks are set on. So the tracks, the ties are perpendicular to the track. When they were cutting the line through um, these areas and through um, into Kamaili, well, making the railroad grading, they cut the trees and then they were milling as well to make ties. And Kamaili had its tie mill, so they were making ties there set for their tracks, and also eventually um, railroad ties that were being sent to the mainland and um, made in Hawaii out of Ohia. Mm. So the, the Ohia Lehua, that's what they were cutting down there to make the railroad come through and the railroad grading, actually. And um, so these areas, during my father's time, um, was already busy with independent cane planters moving in. It was like a, its own communities in that area. And in Kauleau, um, where I live, along the railroad grading, there were a few camps in front of my house, where I am now in the back, bachelor's camps mostly, and then um, another camp up the main side called Kudo Camp. And then there was Iwasaki camp along the end of the line or close to the end of the line, which was at Kamaili. And so it was, a, according to my dad, and um, it was a really busy community. So 
lots of farmers in there, um, taro farmers. Our family is a taro farming family. And so we have malai up in that area of Kauleao, which we still um, cultivate. Not as much as before when we were younger, but we still, my brother still cultivates kalo in Kauleao, in that same plot of land, which our forefathers, wow. my grandfather, and before that, um, planted kalo. Just a walk up the road from where I live. So I should be there more often, but I'm not. Okay, so big community, hustling, bustling, and everything, sugar. My dad talked about going to the movies and dancing, dances at Iwasaki camp when he was um, growing up. And there were two stores in Kauleao that um, was along this railroad grading where I live. So one was called Okuda Store, and that's the store I live in. Well, used to be the store, but it's still the same sort of like building. And I think the family was already there in Kauleao um, by the time my dad was born. Yeah, and they built the store there. They had a store in Kapoho. And so my dad would say that the mom and the dad ran the Okuda Store in Kauleao. Another story later on, after Okuda was Makio store, and that was um, closer to um, Opikao's side. Um, so just to kind of give you an idea of this railroad grading I live on, uh, it's a short piece, maybe like half a mile or something, which ends up at the Makio store and then goes as far as um, Kamaili, Oh, it's actually in Kauleao, where the um, turntable for the motor car would be. Yeah. So that was the mode of transportation for the people in this area during that time when my father was growing up in Kauleao. So people would come and go using the train? Using the train. Train was sugar. The motor car was a passenger and freight for the stores in that area because eventually Iwasaki had a general store there as well, but I'm not sure when. Um, but that store, Okuda store, was right across the street of my grandfather's house, so my dad was very fond of that store. So I'm just going to mention a few family names in the area while my dad grew up. Um, there would have been the Elia family, um, there would have been the Hirabara family, Hara. There would have been the, well, I'm trying to think of the people that lived during my dad times. Kanuha family, Kealoha, I think, lived there too. And um, just near that railroad grading. Yeah, my Ola, that's about it I can think of now. Were these Ohana all... Um, sustained or have anything to do with the sugar, the industry? Yeah, a lot of them did. Um, my dad, when he was growing up, um, kind of worked a little bit with the sugar, sugar cane cut leaf. I think they called it lily coal. They cut the leaf of the cane. And um, some of the land we have down there was leased for independent cane planters like Makio. Uh The other Kudo camp, they were... Cane planters, like Kudo, Iwasaki, and they would um, build these camps, and they'd have people live in there. They'd be working for them. 
yeah, at these camps, basically. He never named those, the bachelor camps that were near the house where I live now. And um, all he said was there was a bachelor's camp behind, mostly Filipinos. And um, he remembered building a kite with them. And it wasn't a small kite. It was a, a huge kite. And you could put the the kukui helipo, which is the one that you can travel with. They would tie it up to the kite. So like and, a lantern? A lantern. Mm-hmm. And send it up. So, you know, they were trying to fly it at night. Yeah, hopefully to Interesting. Yeah. So the, that's what they would do there with what he learned from the Filipino um, bachelors that lived behind the, behind the house. <laughs> Why were they trying to fly them at night, these kites? I'm not sure. Maybe because it it uh, would be glowing in the sky. Because over there, there is it's pitch black. So we live off the grid. It's very dark. My dad them lived there. It's very dark. Nobody had generators like you do nowadays, like we do nowadays. No photovoltaics. You had water tanks. Most of the water was by gravity flow into your house, not with a water pump. Um, yeah, very simple lives. Neighbors are neighbors. And a lot of the neighbors along that small railroad grading were family or became family. Because when you live in a community where people work, people go to church, people go to the same store, lucky back then it was close by for my dad then, um, yeah, you become a family. No matter what nationality you are, everybody gets to know each other. I mean, it's not like everybody's, you know, all comfy cozy. You might have disagreements, but when somebody needs help or kokua, Everybody pitches in. So I'm just going to move on a little a little more. So the Okuda family lived there, um, had the store for a very long time. And I remember asking my dad about the family. And he shared when the war broke out, World War II. So the area where, we, where I lived was taken over by the military. Mm. The Japanese school, the military um, took that area. Because we're along the Puna coastline, and it's very dark, yeah, so military were using that coastline to watch for any ships or submarines or whatever that might be coming to the island um, in Hawaii, I mean, along that coastline. So there were places where they set up lookouts and things. So in Kauleau, right where I live, they set up the, the main station like there, yeah. By that time, it had like telephone, the one utility mm-hmm. uh, or luxury, which was telephone. And the store, Okuda store, had the pretty much the only telephone in the area. Yeah. And so what happened was the family, the military removed the family from their home. And if you talk about community, my dad said the whole community turned out because it was a very sad time to see what was happening to the family that lived there for many, many years, to be taken away. Yeah. So it was about 40s when the war broke out. And I asked him what happened to them after the war ended. He said he wasn't sure really what happened to them, where they went, but I think they eventually came back and they tried to make a go of the store. But I think before the late 40s, it 
it was done. Or I mean, they weren't there anymore. Okay, so back to my dad. My dad bought that home in about 1953 or 55, probably. And um, that's where he raised his family, right across of his father's house, along that railroad grading in Coleal. And um, that's where I live right now. So, and it's still the store. I mean, it's still an old house, but um, like my kids, they grew up there too. And I have three grandchildren that are living with me. Um, and they always want to take down the, the glass cabinet that's in the parlor, which was the store. It's one glass cabinet that's still there on the wall. And so every time I look at that, I always think about the, the store. Because when I grew up, my dad took down all of them that were in the store except for that one. And we've modified the house and made changes. So the front half of the store is very, was very big and had all glass cabinets on the sides and um, tall from like two feet off the floor to the, almost the ceiling and their 10-foot ceilings in the house. Yeah. So that's the remnants that I left. Mm-hmm. And um, that's my home. Right now in Kauleau, along that railroad grading that still exists, uh, many, many more stories. But um, if you pass through Kamaili Road, you'll be passing through um, Opika, Kamaili, Kamaleau, and Opikao. Wow. I'm just, I'm struck by... I, I'm a little bit familiar with that area too, and I'm struck by how quiet it seems today compared to what how you characterized it in the past, right? Like a bustling place. Is it? Is is that? Is my observation relatively accurate about it being a very quiet place today? It's very accurate. So when I when we moved away from um, Kauleau, uh families are moving away from the area because travel is farther. My dad actually wanted to move to Hilo, but my mom said no. Because my grandfather still lived in Komoleo. And um, so we moved to Pahoa instead. And right now, yeah, on that railroad grading, I think there's only one family at the end, which has been there for a while. Howley family, but we've known them for a very long time. And then another Howley family just moved in. And then us. Um, and then my cousin still has the home there where her fa- father and mother lived and grandparents and then um the family still owns their land across of us and then my grandpa's house still there but nobody lives there so this this area is very quiet now um there's a lot more people moving in but it's very rural it's not gonna it's gonna be more residential than anything else i don't think there'll be any businesses that move down there because there's not a lot of amenities i mean for one you don't have electricity Two, you don't have a water system that comes through there, like a county water line. So everybody's independent. And um, but people want that kind of place to live in. But you got to be very careful where you live. And for that area, um, 1955, eruption. Then 20, was it 2018? Yeah, it didn't flow down into that area. 55 flowed down through Kamaili and took that camp that I talked about, Iwasaki camp. 
covered everything down there. And um, 2018, it didn't come down. Oh, sorry. 55 came down through Kaoleao to that Kudo camp, which is very near my home. And um, yeah. Something else you mentioned that was um, interesting to me is how you still have a mala'ai. Could you tell us a little bit more about that for your ohana and maybe what that means? That mala'ai is um, my grandfather. As far as I know, my grandfather farmed that. But it's on land which his mother and the family had. My grandfather farmed that. We farmed that as kids. My dad farmed it. My uncle was next door to us. And so we grew taro. And, um, you know, when you're young, you it's all hard work. It's really hard work to grow taro. It really is. You've got to take care. And um, so growing up, my dad worked a regular job. He was in construction. But if we were pulling taro, after school, we'd have to go down with him. When he finished work, we'd go down and pull taro. You know, pull the taro, even if it's in the dark. You're pulling taro and bagging it because you're taking it to get sold. Um, he's taking it the next day to get sold at the um, Poi factory in Hilo. And the last time I remember what was sold as a pound was 35 cents a pound. Oh. Yeah. But these are bags, sometimes five bags, six bags. Yeah. And every weekend on Saturday, we went to tend the mala, the malai there. My grandfather had his own plot. He grew sweet potatoes. My dad grew ma mainly um, kalo, and my grandpa grew sweet potatoes. We grew corn, all kinds of things on there. So when we were young, we had poyo all the time. <laughs> every time. Tara, it was very rarely that we bought. If we saw a, a poi bag in the house, it was like rare. And so we, that mala'ai is very special because now my brother um, has his mala'ai there. And um, so every chance I get, I try to go there and help him out. And it's not, it was big. He, I think he had planted over an acre one time and then now it's smaller. So it's good. It's good to have farmland. It's good to put your hand in the soil because, you know, little sweat from the brow. A little beating on you from the sun, thirsty. But when you look at everything, once it's done, you say, oh, good job, mm -hmm. good work. Yeah, it's very fulfilling. So that mala is very special for us there. And um, like my ohana, we were kala farmers, fisher people, but uh, kalo, yeah, very important. You remember what kind? Oh, gosh. My dad, lehua, we planted mostly lehua. I don't see that lehua anymore because when we went away to school um, in Honolulu, we were sent, my parents sent us to Kamehameha schools. All of us went eventually, and um, so it's hard to tend the malai. And so only my dad was taking care of it. Guoho, lehua. I don't know if the kuoho was what my dad would call the tall man. Yeah. Mm. I just know when I look at them, another good tarot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there is a difference. You're going to notice every tarot has its taste. Some for table, 
some for poi, some for kololo, yeah, like that. So you you gotta know. Lehua's, we grew up on Lehua, yeah. So it was part of your family tradition to go down to the kahakai too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we have a family home along the beach. That's been in the family for a while too. So along the coastline in Opikau, the village of Opikau. And um, fishing was a canoe landing there way back when. So the communities, so these communities, they they interacted a lot with each other because the church was at the coast too. So the Protestant church, so... And the families all knew each other, Malcolm Mackay, and got together. So fishing, they lived mostly up Malka, farmed up Malka. Some lived on the Mackay as well. And even that area down along that beach road, Highway 137, um, was a busy place too. Yeah. So the canoe landing is where um, they would launch the canoes to go out. And um, the fishermen by net, by line. So my grandpa, that's what my dad learned to swim or was being taught to swim and go out on a canoe. He tells about going out on a canoe and they let him out. He said, go, go in, go back, swim to the <laughs> to the um, shoreline. He said they were pretty far out. They made him swim back to the shoreline. I'm sure they watched him, but, <laughs> you know, he said it was very, you know, he had to go swim back to the shoreline. Yeah. So when the fishermen went out, the families, this is a star my dad shared, so they, everybody knew when the, the canoes went out. And um, so I told you my dad was born in 1928. So 28, he died in 2009. So his younger years, spent their 30s, 30s maybe in 40s. So when the canoes went out, um, they went fishing. People knew when the canoes would be coming back in, they'd be waiting, and so families would come. And so the families on the canoe, you know, you you have to give to the community, so you give so much, you know, like, I'm not sure what they would call it, but you give so much to this family, so much to this family, so much to this family. Yeah. And that was the, the, um, the way people did things. Yeah. And then the family who went out, families who went out to go fishing, You'd have yard catch as well too. So, whether whatever kind of fish you caught, yeah. Or hey, hey. and the name Opihikau itself does that speak of any practices that people would engage in in that area too? You know, <clears throat> these places with their names. You know, I always wondered about Opihikau. We think of Opihi. The first you think of is the Opi. Opi is abundant down there, but so is other kind of um, shellfish. I love hoke okay so there's a lot of that as well. well, not so much nowadays. Not so much nowadays. But um, I, I, I don't know. Um, my grandfather and my, well, my grandfather only spoke Hawaiian, so it's <laughs> really hard. And my dad, um, he never really said, he said, Opiko is a village. It's not an ahupua. It's a village. And that's the village along the coastline. So my dad would always say, so if you take away Opi as that ahupua on the Kapoho side of us, you would have Kawaea. He said that's all he remembers. Kawaea was next to us. And Opi was just a village. 
along the coastline. Mm. But maps tell you differently, mm. right? So uh, fishing, I guess, opihi, a lot of opihi gathering there, yeah. I guess you can say maybe it's had plenty opihi in that area before. So interesting. Mahalo for describing this landscape from the past yeah, and bringing us forward to the present too. You're welcome. Mahalo. Mahalo nui. I've enjoyed myself. It's it's interesting to hear how a community was built up around, well, there were the local residents, but then also the the communities from other places you mentioned, Philippines, Japan, yeah. and stuff like that, all centered all around uh, an industry that of that time was very common. And then to talk about how the community, even though they weren't related, they still came together and helped each other, that kokuaku, kokuamai, mm. very important. And you mentioned that as well with the fishing, when the families would go out, everybody would come down and say, hey. Yeah, and it, it, it still happens sometimes. So um, there's not, um, very few Hawaiians live in that area now, very few. And you can count them on your hand. Um, but um, I think people in general, we still practice that. You give what you can and you help whenever you can. The people in your community and the ohana that still lives there. Um, I, I think those places are going to be there for a very long time. And uh, not very many people know about the history of that area. Um, you can go further back. And um, they should. They should go find out some stories. I don't know very many old, old stories, but just the stories that my dad told me and um, a lot more. But um, thank you for letting me share about mm. this, my life along this railroad grading or the life along here. Because, you know, the one thing I remember um, about my dad talking about the community, a lot of people spoke Hawaiian, even if they were not. Hawaiian, Japanese people, Filipino people, they all had a grasp of the language. Maybe they didn't speak it fluently, but they had a grasp of the language because uh, that's what people were mostly speaking in that area. Yeah, so if you talk to the old folks, if you listen to some people, yeah, they will tell you, speak back to you in Hawaiian. Nice. Yeah. Oh, mahalo nui for sharing. Okay. Mahalo. You're welcome. What a great perspective of kaweleau in Puna. I found the presence of the railroad in the community interesting, mm -hmm. and that is something that not a lot of people nowadays might know about. To imagine the area as what Kalanipur described as hustling and bustling, as opposed to what we might think of it now, more laid back and quiet, that is thought-provoking. For sure. And it was reaffirming to hear how so many different cultural groups came together in this small rural area of Puna and lived together peacefully and integrated elements of indigenous culture, such as Hawaiian language, regardless of their background. Polalei drew, language isn't always a barrier. It doesn't have to be. Rather, it brings communities together. And with that, mahalo nui to Kalanipua Elia for visiting us here at Kaleo o Kauluau and for sharing Ike with our listeners. And remember, everyone, new episodes of Kaleo Kauluau come out on the 1st and 15th of every month. Also, check out the story map on our website, and our social media posts on Facebook and Instagram. And celebrate with us the incredible Wahipana, these storied places of Hawaii Island. Until next time, ahui mui. Aloha.